Arma, or Ardmacha, the height of Macha, is one of the oldest inhabited areas in Ireland and widely regarded as a leading pagan site of ritual from before Christ. It's where St. Patrick came to Christianise this country in 444 AD. I grew up near here in the late 50s and remained into the early 90s. For a while, no more than three years, I ventured across the Irish Sea to the fine city of Hereford on the Welsh borders. It was my first adventure as a member of the Irish diaspora. Of course, I returned to Ireland, prepared and content to spend the rest of my life on these shores. Then, just over five years ago, I left again on a 6,000-mile adventure to California. I've now returned again to Ireland for who knows how long. In that time away, I was deeply aware of being part of the extensive Irish diaspora. This ongoing conversation is an attempt to investigate and illuminate as to what that diaspora thinks and feels, from the recently departed to the generations who spread their wings over the last three and four centuries. This is Irish Voices, Conversations with the Irish Diaspora. Dara Carvel grew up in this fine Georgian city, at the very foot of the hill now occupied by the 170-year-old Catholic Cathedral of St. Patrick's. He chose to leave Armagh and the North for a life of writing and creativity that would produce plays, screenplays for movies and TV series, as well as teaching opportunities. Dara's works include the film Middleton and Cherry Bomb, plays like Language Roulette and Observatory, and the successful ITV series The Bay, set in the seaside town of Morecambe. A second series will be shown later in the year. Dara is married to successful novelist Joe Baker. I suppose, I mean, I knew very early on that I probably was going to leave um, Armagh and Northern Ireland, and um, which is not to say that I have anything against Armagh or Northern Ireland. Uh, I'm very proud to be from here. I'm very proud of Armagh. Uh, I think it's an extraordinary place. And I feel very deeply attached to it. It's, uh, not just through family and friends, but also I, I, I love the, the history, the culture, the architecture, everything about Armagh. Having said that, when I was a teenager, I had this sense that I was going to leave. And uh, I suppose there's various reasons for that. One of them probably is to do with when it was, because I was born in 1969, um, right at the start of the Troubles. Um, and so I grew up with all of that. I didn't know any different. And so by the time I was you know, finishing school and deciding where to go next, um, I'd lived with that my whole life. And so I kind of wanted something different, but already by that stage as well, I realised that what I wanted to do was work in the arts, in, you know, ideally in kind of theatre and film and television. And again, it sort of felt like that's not something I can do here. Um, so there were various, the various reasons that even though I love where I'm from and I'm very proud to be from here, I sort of felt that my future probably lay elsewhere. There is that old cliche you can take the man out of the country but the country's still within the man because much yeah. of the work that you've done over the years or a certain amount of it has been about that past that dark past that we've ha had here as yeah. a writer. Yeah I mean uh, one of the things I'm really interested in is uh, uh, there's this Irish 
literary tradition, Irish writing tradition, um, I think the word is Din Shanachas uh, in Irish, which is the writing about a place. Um, the, the poet Nulan Nigonal talks about this. She talks about the, the lore of high and holy places. And it used to be, you know, a thousand years ago that um, bards, Irish bards, would be trained in the lore of high and holy places. So you'd be, you know, you'd spend seven years cloistered away learning the stories of the names of all the townlands and every hill and every hole in the hedge. And your your training would be to be able to tell these stories. And that that's kind of stuck with me in a, in a weird way. And I kind of associate it with now this much more kind of contemporary idea of, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, um, psychogeography. I don't know if you're familiar with this idea, uh, which again is, is is writing about place and kind of thinking deeply about the history of, of, of places. So that was always something I was very interested in and that's partly through coming from here, coming from Armagh, where the history is kind of wrapped around you. Um, you know, it's written on the landscape. You've got the, 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 the Church of Ireland Cathedral on one hill, the Catholic Cathedral on the other hill. Um, you've got this extraordinary medieval uh, landscape of streetscape. Um, you've got the Georgian buildings. You also have a kind of deep sense of deep sense of history but also a deep sense of division so you've got english street and irish street and scotch street and you've got all of that kind of written in the in the landscape of the of the town um so i was always interested in place and always interested in writing about place and that's that has been a, a theme through all of the stuff i do including what i do now and you know now i live in england but i'm writing a show that's very very uh, rooted in one particular community. And we'll come to that uh, story in a little while, but while you're talking there, I mean, easily identifiable in the world of poetry will be Seamus Heaney, mm. will be Patrick Kavanagh, and that's exactly what they were doing, mm. writing about the place. Yeah, there's a brilliant thing that Heaney says about becoming a writer. Um, he says that when he first read Kavanagh, it gave him permission to write about his own experience. And the beautiful term he uses is the nettles behind the hen house. The idea that the kind of granular texture, the detail of your own life is something that is worthy write, of writing about. And that that was, a, I had a, a similar kind of experience of, of when I was trying to write, when I was starting writing, and writing terrible stuff because, you know, you're trying things out and you don't really know how to do it. And then I had a moment of, uh, when I was at university, writing something that was set here. It was set just out there behind our house, in fact. Um, so here in Armagh, where we're talking now. And suddenly I was writing in my own voice, in the voice of my friends and family, and it was true and it hit on something and that was very kind of um, liberating for me. How much of that required you to be out of the place? Because it strikes me and I know from my own experience that mm. it's difficult to have that confidence about yourself when you live in a place of turmoil, you're mm. uncertain of your next um, kind of adventure out there. But also there's that kind of unwritten subliminal I'm a lesser person here because I live mm. under the regime of this or that or the other. Mm. Well, uh, you know, God, I'm not comparing myself to Joyce, <laughs> but there is that thing in Joyce as well about going away to Paris and, you know, Zurich or wherever 
and obsessing over Dublin and writing it in incredibly intimate detail about every shop doorway and every you know uh, 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 every corner every hole in the hedge and it's part of uh, that's part of the experience of I suppose a, a sort of diaspora um, sensibility is kind of going away from a place and then because you're not there anymore still wanting to hold on to it still wanting to belong to it in some way or it to belong to you and uh yeah i think i think it's quite a common experience in in a lesser sense uh, those who went to america left uh, the country behind those who less kind of educated than you and i and, and other generations and in new york and boston I feel that they got their way back to look to Ireland was through the songs of Tin Pan Alley that, mm. that kind of hark back to that. Mm. You've had a, a, an opportunity to 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 write more directly, and, and I'm thinking now of, of uh, I suppose we can describe it as your first feature film, Middleton. Is would yeah. that fit into that bill that you were able to write that from afar? Yeah, I mean, I was. Yeah, I think I was already probably living in England when I wrote that but it is very much about a kind of small town northern irish um experience and a sort of claustrophobia uh and the kind of um there's there's a there is a sort of need to escape in that kind of world which is one that i mean that's true to my own experience i think yeah yeah what what did it say to you or, or how did it change you when that movie came out and local people saw it? What response did you get and how did that change things, if any, for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, the response was the response here was really positive. It's it kind of I think people recognize that world and recognize the kind of uh, although that film is not a sort of social realist piece, really, it's kind of quite heightened and gothic in its sensibility I think people recognised it uh, here I think it had a harder time uh, in England um, in, 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 in the UK I think people didn't quite understand I don't think people quite connected with it in the way that they, they did here uh, you know it's, it's, a, it's a very specific um, worldview that uh, I think uh, a kind of a mainstream British audience sort of struggled to connect with. You uh, seem to like Gothic, or at least you had another mm. opportunity at the Gothic world. I read in that wonderful world of the internet and Wikipedia <laughs> that you uh, were able to write um, uh, for Radio 4, if I'm not mistaken, mm. um, a version of Dracula. Yeah, and again, I think the Gothic is something to do with growing up here. Uh, I mean, where we're sat here, my mum and dad's house, the cathedral's just behind us, the Catholic cathedral's just behind us, is the, the graveyard where I wrote, uh, about which I wrote my first play, The Grandfather Grave, is just up the back of the house there. Um, and we're surrounded by kind of churches and Celtic crosses and graveyards and, and, and all of that. And I think that all sort of seeped in. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I was probably slightly less so now but certainly uh, um, when I was coming to writing the gothic was something I was I was very drawn to so I when I got a chance to do that adaptation for uh, for radio I I 
absolutely grabbed it uh, and had a brilliant time doing it. And we had uh, uh, Michael Fassbender um, was one of the actors on that. And uh, yeah, it, you know, I, I, I really relished that. You mentioned about writing plays, you've written for radio, you've written for television now. Mm. I mean, I even see a darkness and a gothic nature into the, the series that you've written. There's mm. there, there certainly is that. It may be in the opposite coast to, where is it, uh, where Whitby, is that? Yeah, where, yeah, where, yeah. Where? yes. It's on the opposite coast, That's as it right. were. That's right, yeah. Uh, it almost look, uh, there's a darkness in it too. Mm. Yeah, again, probably that's coming from here. I mean, I hope there's also a kind of, there's a lightness of touch to it as well, I hope and a kind of um you know you can't come from here either without a, a degree of black comedy and playfulness with language and and those things are also Im important to me um but there is yeah there's a there's a kind of i suppose there is a bit of a gothic sensibility to 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 quite a lot of the a lot of the work. Well, for those listening who haven't seen, we're talking about The Bay. It was an ITV series. Um, there's a second season coming out. You're telling me it's just coming to the final cut, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, there's one in America called The Bay as well. It's a much, much less interesting uh, kind of work. But I, I would direct the audience to see your Bay. Mm. Um, and um, I'm not here to be the critic. Um, well, I, I think the critic is good. The critique. Uh, was that it was really, really well written, really well uh, staged, uh, filmed, atmospheric. I almost felt almost into the uh, style of the Nordic kind of uh, mm. mysteries as well. There was mm. a darkness and yet a subtlety and that humour that you talk about. Anybody could write that. <laughs> uh, I'm mean, jesting, of yes, course. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the, uh, the Nordic thing, that, that definitely is there i think and that's a you know you're influenced by the stuff you love and i did love you know the killing and um the bridge and some of those great sort of scandi noir uh labyrinthine kind of thrillers i was really drawn to to those i mean the show that it's often compared to which i don't quite see myself is um is broad church well i mean i do see it in the sense that it's a murder mystery set at in a in a, a seaside town in in england um but i think the sensibility of those shows are so uh so different um that i, I you know i hope with the second series that that comparison won't be made quite as much. Well, here here's the thing it's a theory having watched the series very very recently mm. that it's uh at a, a darker time of the year. We live in the Northern Hemisphere here, particularly in the north of Ireland, mm. in a darker time uh, zone, as it were. In the winter, we got shorter mm. nights. We used to be the agrarian society. We used mm. to we used to stay indoors. Um, this was, it's not completely in the, in the depth of winter, but mm. it has that kind of cooler kind of time of year about it. It does, yeah. And I think some of that was conscious in terms of the filmmaking. Um, so the decisions about because actually in reality now with with the technology that we have and and grading and and uh, lighting and and everything you know you you're not at the mercy of the elements you can make decisions about how it's going to look and one of the big decisions about our show was it about about its palette and it has a very distinctive kind of color scheme which is the sort of the color scheme of um, of northern, um, the northern seaside kind of resort. So it's just, it's got a kind of silvery 
quality to it whereas something like Broadchurch is you know has a kind of honey colored light our our show is is a bit more wintry as the screenwriter do you get a say in how it's shot where it's shot all of those kind of uh, big decisions or is it just a question of let me write the words well um with this show uh where it's shot was absolutely my um that came from me because uh because i live in 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 the north of england i live in lancaster which is uh, just next to Morecambe where the, where the show is set uh, in fact Lancaster and Morecambe sort of bleed into each other it's, it's really it's one conglomeration really and um, one of the, you know there were two elements to the show as I pitched it one was I wanted to write something about a family liaison officer because I thought that's a great way into a crime drama that makes it also a family drama and I was interested in combining those two things combining those two genres in a way and then the other thing was I wanted to write something set in in Morecambe in the Morecambe Bay area which is where we live um big partly simple reason that nothing has ever been set there you know are only one-off um pieces not not a sustained series and I kind of felt a bit like I've always felt about 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 Armagh as well is that you know, I don't want this place to be overlooked. You know, this is these. You know, we live in important places, uh, and so I wanted, uh, I wanted to kind of put it on the map. How easy is it to to get into that world? I mean, that's the daftest question ever because there no, are about a million, yeah. a million routes to everything. But mm. your route in particular, um, mine was. Uh, you know, and I suppose everybody would say this. You know, it's a combination of of luck and judgment um a lot of luck but i did decide though you know quite early on i decided that this is what i wanted to do and um i was lucky enough uh to have you know i had the archetypal inspirational english teacher uh in fact i had coffee with him this morning here in arma um paul mcavinci at st patrick's college was just a really inspirational person who gave you permission to do it who sort of said uh implicitly you know he never stated this but he said working as a writer or an actor or a musician is a not only a valid thing to do but an incredibly exciting and valuable thing to do and it doesn't matter that you're a shit kicker from our math you know uh why not why not do it um and that was and not just for me, but for a whole generation, or probably more than one generation of of people from here, uh, he gave us permission. So somebody like Seamus McGarvey, for example, who's now one of the top cinematographers in the world, uh, you know, he talks about Paul in, in 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 the same way as the person who kind of gave him permission to do it. Um, you know, John Paul Connolly, the actor, Brian Kirk, the director. Um, there's lots of us, Terry Kifola, uh, TV writer. Um, we all kind of went through that. So I knew, and Paul encouraged us to enter poetry competitions and do st- things like that. So when I was a kid, I was about 15 or 16, I suppose, and I entered a, po- a Patrick Kavanagh Poetry Prize. And I don't think I went, I won. In fact, I know I didn't win. I came second, but I got 30 quid, 30 punts, which was fantastic, you know. 
and I just thought that makes you a professional I mean absolutely yeah and then I just thought well this is what I want to do then um, but I was always really interested in television and theatre and film passionately and so when I was going to university then um, I, I, I decided to do film and drama I went to the University of Kent and this was before creative writing existed as a a kind of career path they didn't really have there was only I think the University of East Anglia that had a creative writing degree so I did film and drama and but as part of my drama course there was one module which was about playwriting and so I wrote the wee play that I've mentioned already the grandfather grave which is set here in Armagh as part you know as my contribution to that module and then this was where the luck came in it just so happened that some people from the uh, Royal Court Theatre in London came down to Canterbury um, for our kind of end of term that little presentation and uh, they liked what I was doing and that play then was staged as a rehearsed reading during um, the Young Writer, Royal Court Young Writers Festival and so that was the first experience I'd, I'd, at school and stuff I'd done like school plays and I'd loved that and I've you know been part of the school magazine and that kind of thing and I'd loved all of that um, but that play was the first time I'd written something and then actors had actually performed it and that was another of those big turning points for me where you just kind of go oh my God, this is what I want to do. And the other turning point was it being on a stage and an audience being there. And the actual experience of getting a laugh for a line that you'd written, again, that was one of the things that kind of made me go, this is just what I want to do. Was there ever a desire to be on that stage performing your own stuff? N not so much. Um, I mean, I did a wee bit of that when I was at school uh, and certainly had friends like... Uh, John Paul Connolly and Veronica Lear and, and Michael Hughes who've gone on to become professional actors um, but no I think I probably was always a bit too self-conscious for that uh, I was and an more introspective probably so no it was I wanted to write I mean I also used to draw and stuff like that and you I knew I wanted to do something artistic when was the first day that you said to yourself, I've reached that goal? I know in my own life, mm. I know the day it was for me when I walked through into a professional organisation that were paying me. When did that come to you and say, I've arrived? It didn't mean you got to your final destination. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had that. Maybe you're not there you yet. You know, it's, well, it's kind of, it's because it is the freelance kind of world. And so you're only as secure as your as your latest thing do you know what I mean so at the moment you know I'm feeling I suppose fairly confident because the show went well and it's been recommissioned we've got a second series um, uh, you know so there are kind of moments across the across the last 20 years or so you know for my first actual full stage production or the first time I got uh, the first feature that I made my first time on a, on a set there are a series of firsts but it's not really a kind of oh well that's it now I've arrived because you're always thinking well this could just be a one-off you know but you don't strike me as someone who's feeling insecure as you say you've just got word of the second series coming to completion mm. I mean surely you're at uh, there must be a time when you say oh 
I'm not necessarily arrived, but that I'm happy that I, mm-hmm. I'm able to 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 live and, and, and breathe another week, month, year or yeah. decade of being a writer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm lucky in that sense. Um, I do think uh, I think it's, it's partly a negative thing. It's partly kind of going, I know I can't do anything else, you know, so it's kind of uh, I have to keep doing this, you know, even if they're kind of if everybody's saying no. I'm gonna to have to keep doing it anyway because that's all I know really. Um, so that sort of keeps me going. Um, and there's another thing, and again, it's a slightly negative kind of attitude. But occasionally, when you see something that isn't very good, that can be very motivating because you kind of go, "Oh my God!" You know, I'm you know banging my head against the wall trying to get this thing written, and then I see this other piece that's on telly or on cinema that I think's crap you know and that weirdly that can be quite <laughs> motivating well, well, on the other hand seeing something absolutely brilliant can be motivating too because you kind of think god if I could even just approach something like that you know? you're a married man now you have children mm. uh, you're married to a writer who's uh, quite successful mm. um, is that a competitive thing for you or a supportive thing for you uh, it's not a competitive thing it is a supportive thing because uh, my wife is a novelist Joe Baker and um, because we work in different forms I think that gives us enough distance from each other's work that we're not treading on each other's toes um, so we read each other's work. I mean, I'll read Joe's, you know, when Joe's got a sort of a draft of a novel, she, I'll, I'll be the first person who reads it. And similarly, when I've got a script, um, Joe'll be the first person who reads that. Um, but because Joe isn't a scriptwriter and I'm not a novelist, we can, uh, you know, we've got a kind of degree of... Um, Separation. Yeah, yeah, which I think is healthy. I think if I suddenly started going, Joe, you read my novel, you know... That might be that might be a bit more tricky. What about uh, trying to adapt to screenplay some of the work mm. that she's done, or is that too too complicated? Well, we haven't. That hasn't come up yet. There was a point at which there was a possibility of of that on one of Joe's books. In fact, twice on two of the books, it's been mooted, and I certainly wouldn't be against it. I'd be very interested in doing. It. I'm interested in adaptation, um, but uh, it it hasn't come about yet. Um, but you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule it out. Let's go back to the the premise of this conversation. It's about the Irish diaspora. It's fairly obvious from what you've been saying earlier. You've brought lots of your Irishness with you. Um, mm. How do you see yourself being seen by others in uh, the UK, in particular, as being part of a diaspora, or could they care less? Well, I mean, I, I don't. I don't know. I think I am seen as. Uh, I mean, I. I think my Irishness is something, it's actually something I'm much more conscious of now. Um, and I don't, you know, without getting bogged down in Brexit, I think the Brexit experience has, uh, uh, has been in some ways quite clarifying in terms of identity for me personally, because uh, I mean, I've always been very happy to have a dual sense of myself as being Irish and British. Um, but with with Brexit, I mean, for example, I've got I've now got an Irish passport, 
and I didn't have before. And it wasn't, you know, it was really practical. Do you know why I didn't have an Irish passport before? Because they're more expensive than a British one. And I've made very pragmatic decisions <laughs> like that. So you kind of go, oh, it's a bit of a hassle getting, and it's like twice as expensive. So now I'll just go to Belfast and just get it. And so I'd made decisions like that. But now I, I, I do, I suppose, have a, a stronger sense of myself as an Irish person and a European person. But I live in Britain, you know, I live in England and um, my wife is English. Um, my kids, I suppose, have, have a kind of dual, dual nationality like I like I have. Um, I, I, it is something I'm conscious of. I don't know how the people I work with, I don't know if they think of me as, you know, a, a foreigner. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a lot of Irish people work on our show, actually, and a lot of Scottish people as well. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know, really know how to answer that question. Well, at least we posed it anyway. Mm. Well, thank you very much for your time and continued good work. We look forward to seeing a second series, maybe a third, a fourth. I mean, there is life and legs in a series that's well written. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've just been talking to Dara Carville. My name is Donna McCone. You've been listening to Irish Voices, Conversations with the Irish Diaspora. Do join me again soon for another podcast. <laughs>